Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Yo, thank you, Kim. I, I, um, there's nowhere else I want to be than Indiana, PA. Is that the, how you say it? That's cool. Um, where I'm from, we say like Pennsylvania, but I guess PA is the cool way of saying it. So now... That's what I'm going to be saying all around the world. And you do, I keep telling every service, you have like the best trees in the country. And so I just like, oh, we're driving here. Um, Blairsville, I stayed in Blairsville. So if you're watching, uh, shout out to you. I, re- I wanted to come and be there. You've got the best trees in Blairsville. But here, where am I now? Indiana has got really good trees as well. Um, same trees. It's okay. But it's been my privilege. Um, Kim, I love what you and Pastor Mel are doing. Hi, babe. And um, <laughs> I, I'm figuring that. Isn't that what, what Kim just said? I went like, okay, is that how we refer to him? And so I, um, it, um, you could tell I feel like family, that's for sure, because I've got all the propel chicks in the room, so I feel very connected to everyone. And, of course, your church is such a, a generous giving church to the work in Thessaloniki with Pastor Peter and Courtney and, you know, Nick and I um, are just so grateful, so grateful because uh, sometimes you – you can be in, a, in the middle of a miracle and not even see it and not even realize um, just what you're a part of. Number one, to have a, a church like this in Indiana, PA, um, is pretty amazing. Uh, it really is, you know, you, you, this is normal for you. But let me tell you, as someone that, that travels the world, uh, it's not normal to have this kind of house. And you ought to thank God that you are planted in such a great house under such great leadership because it really isn't normal. It really isn't normal. And so it is a delight, but to be sowing into the nations of the earth and um, no wonder the Lord's blessing your house uh, because, you know, you take care of God's business and God will take care of yours. It's kind of the way that it works. So um, I know that we've got a team going to Greece. I'm going to be praying for that team in the next service. And um, I am pumped up. There is no better salad on earth than a Greek salad in Thessaloniki, Greece. And so there's a lot of darkness. Um, there is no doubt about that. Uh, but to be able to have a Greek salad at the end of that makes it a little bit better. So I am here. I keep telling everyone because he is with the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet earth. And now every wife has to say that about her husband. And so Nick and I have been married for uh, 26 years and um, we are in this together all the way. All the stuff that you hear about A21, uh, Nick is the CEO and runs it all. I'm just the mouth, but he actually does all of the work, just so that you know. And um, we have two daughters. There he is. And um, isn't he cute? Okay, so there um, are our daughters, Catherine Bobby and Sophia Joyce, um, named after two of the most influential women in my life, my pastor and my um, spiritual mama, Joyce Meyer. I really didn't have a choice because um, Sophia was in my womb, and Joyce goes on TV. I didn't even know at this point if I was having a boy or a girl, and she's like, Christine Kane's having a, a, a baby girl, and she's going to call her Joyce. And I'm like, when Joyce Meyer says you, to the whole television world that you're going to call her Joyce, what do you do? You put Joyce on her birth certificate. So that's where, um, that's where her name is from, and they are just the delight of my life. And like I told the women yesterday, my husband is number 14 of 15 children. Um, For the chicks in the room, his mother had 15 full-term pregnancies in 17 years. I know, every woman just crossed her legs right there. And so (laughs) it's like that that just, I don't even know how. Like that is possible. I think by the time she gets to 14, 15, she doesn't even know she's popped them out. But anyway, I know it's Sunday morning and it's not the women's conference, but men, you came at your own peril. And so... um, (laughs) So I, I say to everyone there, like, my mother-in-law never thinks you're a chick until you pop out like 10. And so I would just take Catherine and Sophia and say, this is my alpha and this is my omega and this is the beginning and the end of my childbearing years. <laughs> this is where it all ends. Anyway, we're going to dive into the word together. I love the house of God. I love church. There's, there's just no place like gathering together on a weekend in the house of God. And you just don't even know what's happening. You don't know what people have brought into the room. And, um, you know, I believe that God's going to meet every single one of you. And he does. And there's nothing like the local church. I've been planted in the house of God since I got saved um, for 35 years. And I get to do a lot of things around the earth, but there's nothing 
like gathering together in the house. And um, that's why I'm a, a great proponent of if you can do anything you can do to be in the house of God. I know it's comfortable eating your Cheerios in bed and watching, or maybe you're on the treadmill watching me, or in the bathroom, that's all good. But anyway, so whatever it is that you're doing, but if you can gather in the house, there's something about being together in the presence of God. So if you turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, I was vacillating about um, what I was going to speak today, but your pastor and I do what the pastor says, really likes this message, so this is what you're getting. So I'm believing that it's a word of the Lord for you. And in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, the scripture says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable, for no one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. I really want you to pay attention to that. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. So when everyone's like freaking out and talking about, you know, how will we know if Jesus comes back? He's like, it's okay. The, the 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 sky is going to light up. Nobody is going to be wondering Was that Jesus? Did he come back? Did it happen? Everyone is going to know. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And you are so glad you came to church today, aren't you? You're like, this is why I got out of bed and um, came to the house of the Lord for the 9 a.m. And you're like the spiritual service because you've been up since 5 a.m. praying and fasting and interceding uh, for the presence of God. And here you are at 9 a.m. You are the holy service of the church. It will be like that on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get him. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed and one will be taken And the other will be left. And I do tell my husband, I will not be the one that is left behind, just so everyone knows. So two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. So this is the word of the Lord and we're all feeling awesome that we came on a Sunday morning post-conference going awesome. I'm looking for a motivational word and Christine, you are talking about the flood and about Noah and about the sky lighting up and about Jesus coming and Sodom and Gomorrah burning and like this is like intense for a Sunday morning. If this is your first Sunday in church, come back next week because the pastor will be here and you'll be very encouraged. And so you're like, Christine, I did not need to come to church to get this. I've just been listening to the news. been living on this earth for the last five or six years and I've been having my own version of the world blowing up. If it's not politically or economically or socially or morally or environmentally, you can't have a normal day. Has everyone noticed that like since about 2016, there hasn't been like a normal day on the earth? You're like, what is going on? And just when you think things are going to get better, it just goes one thing after the other. I was laughing because remembering when 2020 started, I put out a Bible study called 2020. This was the year of 20. 2020 vision. I mean, I started off at the Passion Conference, 80,000 young people in an auditorium, you know, prophesying and declaring and decreeing, this is the year of 2020 vision, and then went over to Brazil and stadiums of people there talking about 2020 vision, went to Australia and stadiums there, and I'm like, Lord, this is it. This is the revival. This is what we've all been believing God for. We've started the year, you know, continent to continent, arena to arena, 2020 vision, and then in March, I landed back in Los Angeles where we live and my plane landed and then the whole world shut down except for Florida or Texas but the rest of the planet (laughs) 
the rest of planet Earth did have a thing called a pandemic. Just if you're from Florida and Texas, you might not know what that is. We'll have a discussion about that later. But for the rest of us, and particularly if you were from LA, there was like a shutdown, a real shutdown. And just when you thought like, okay, wow, who would have thought that we'd have this global pandemic? And then do you remember like during that year, there were like all of these natural disasters and earthquakes and floods and then plagues. I was like thinking we were living through Exodus. I'm like, what is next? You know, is there 10 plagues? It just kept going. And it's, you know, since then, it's not that anything has stopped. And so you go, Chris, I didn't need to come here on a Sunday morning for you to read Luke chapter 17 because I feel like I've been living through all of that anyway. And it seems like that text could have been written for this very day. Jesus, of course, in this context was talking and saying that, you know what, he was talking about the kingdom that was realized in him coming and telling people like, it's here, the kingdom of God is here. I am here, God incarnate. I am the Messiah. I am what you've been waiting for. But although the kingdom has been realized in Christ, it's not fully realized yet. And we know that because there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's still sickness and there's disease and there's disasters and there's pandemics and there's chaos and there's division and all of the things that we see on the earth today, you go, I realize that it's not fully realized, but within this context of Jesus talking about the end times and talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and talking about you know, the end days and what is going to happen and that sky's gonna split and that sky's gonna light up. And let me just set some of you free because it is amazing when you've got cray cray happening on the earth today, and, and it, like, like we are today, have you all noticed that the world has lost its mind? It's, I mean, I don't know, maybe here in PA, it hasn't lost its mind. But in the rest of the planet, the world has gone cray-cray. It is like bizarre that we're living in a world where the world just calls evil good and good evil, where you say something that is totally logical and it's called controversial. And it's like, I'm just stating the truth. And it's like people just think you've lost your mind. And it, it, you go, wow. This is truly what the scripture was talking about in the last days. People will call good evil and evil good. People will be so deceived and we see deception on the earth that you're sitting at a dinner table thinking you're having a rational conversation and people are looking at you like you're from Mars and that's the kind of world that we are living in. But in the midst of all of that, let me set you free because a lot of people then are going down rabbit trails. Like when I first came to Christ in the late 80s in Australia, and you know, I don't know if it was the same in PA, but in Australia, back in the 80s, there was like these charts about the end times because every generation thinks like, this is it, this is the end. And you know, they draw charts and they have arrows pointing to everything and they're naming who is the antichrist. Like it's just wild. And what happens is when the world's cray cray like it is right now, the charts come back out and it's like we're in a period but it's they're mostly on Facebook down these weird conspiracy theories nowadays and I'm like let me set you free because so many people are wasting so much time and like you're missing really good sleep and you're missing um, a really good opportunity to go and look at your trees and your leaves changing because you're going down those rabbit holes when this is really what Jesus said about the end times he said no one knows the day or the hour Th there it is this is my entire theology, my entire eschatology. Nobody knows. Jesus himself said, I don't know the time or the day or the hour. Only God the Father knows. So how do we live as followers of Christ? We live as if it's going to happen tomorrow or it's not going to even happen for generations. And you can hold both of those truths simultaneously and live that way. Live with a sense of urgency but not panic. Live with a sense of intentionality and a sense of purpose every day, which means if it happens tomorrow, I'm ready. And if it doesn't, I've prepared the generations to come for that and I'm doing what I'm called to do on this earth. So you don't need to freak out. Let me just tell you, everyone is gonna die one day. Death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one will die. I know you're so encouraged about coming to church. It was like where people like freaky, oh, if I die, you will just live long enough. I don't know anyone that got out of life alive. So the fact is not whether we are going to die. We are all going to die. The issue is, are you living the life on this earth that Jesus Christ has called you to live? Are you fulfilling your God-given destiny? Are you fulfilling your God-given purpose? That is the thing that we should be most consumed with. Are we doing what God's called us to do? So in this context of the end times, of which we are living in, we've been living in the end times since Jesus came. 
You and I are the church of Jesus Christ living between the two advents of Christ. We are here to point people to Jesus and to remind people that Jesus is returning. So you don't need to lose your mind. That's just basic Christian theology. So I'm not here to unpack this for you. I'm not about to pull out a chart and say, look at what's happening in the world. And my gosh, look what's happening now. And we've got wars and we've got rumors of wars and we've got famines and we've got plagues and we've got, yes, it's all there. And scripture says it's all gonna happen. I am just not smart enough to be able to unpack that. And I don't lose any sleep because Jesus said, the kingdoms realize, but not fully. So I know I'm living in between the tension of already, but not not yet. And so as Jesus is unpacking that, rather than getting lost in all of that text of which I don't even understand, there's just one verse I want to focus on this morning. Because in the midst of talking about all of this, Jesus drops in three little words. It is so random to me that as he's talking about the end of the world and what is going on and everything burning up, and he could be talking about 2022, he just says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. I'm like, that's random. He's just talked about if a man's, you know, left something in the house, don't go and get it. He's just about to save two are in a bed, don't go. But in between, he sandwiches it between this remember Lot's wife. And you know, when you're a, a chick, and which I am, and when you are a, a speaker at many, many women's conferences and you run a women's movement, you kind of pay attention because you're looking at this and going, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Now, there's four Gospels. There's some red words of Jesus in all of those Gospels. But there is only once in the entire Bible that Jesus ever tells us to remember a woman. Only once. He says of the woman with the jar of oil that what she has done, she poured it all out. What she has done, her deed will be remembered in Matthew but it doesn't tell us to remember her. Yet Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife. Now, the fact is there's not a lot of red letters of Jesus in the Bible. We don't have on this earth a lot of the recorded words of Jesus. We don't have all of his words. We have the ones that we need because they're in Scripture. So every word matters. When you've staked your life on the resurrection of this man, you want to see what has he said. And we've only got a certain amount of words. So three words is a lot of real estate when you only have a few. And so he says, remember Lot's wife. When he's talking in a moment of time that could be this moment of time about the world burning up. And I'm like, why Lot's wife? Now listen, as a woman speaker at women's conferences, I've heard a lot of messages about a lot of women. There's 170 women in Scripture. I've heard lots of messages. I've read lots of books and done lots of Bible studies about lots of women in the Bible. But I never recollect hearing anything about Lot's wife. And I'm like, why would I not hear something about the only woman Jesus told me to remember? Now, if I was Eve, I'd be ticked off. Seriously, because I'd be like, what do you mean remember Lot's wife? I was first. Not only was I first, I came out of a rib. Not only that, I have been blamed for all of the issues of humanity since the beginning of time. I'd be like, why not remember me? If I was Sarah, I'd be like, why not remember me? I popped out a kid at 90 without an epidural. I would want to be remembered. If I was Deborah, I'd want to be remembered. I'd be like, I arose when none of the guys did. What do you mean? I stood up, Esther, I stopped a Jewish genocide. I should be mentioned, Jesus. I mean, he didn't even say, remember my mother, poor Mary. <laughs> she pops him out in a manger around the manure and the animals. And it's like, what do you mean? I am your mother. Man, I mean, you get in trouble in heaven. I'm your mother and you didn't even tell them to remember me. No, no. He said, remember Lot's wife. Now, Why? Why? What do we know about this woman? We, we don't even know her name. She's like, Lot's wife. What's your name? Lot's wife. Wouldn't go down well in 2022. But anyway, back then. <laughs> Remember Lot's wife. And she sort of appears on the pages of Scripture just quickly enough to disappear. And the only thing we really know from her is in Genesis chapter 19. 
And you remember in Genesis 13 that Lot and Abraham separated. And we read in Genesis 13, I'll just go to Genesis 13 for a moment. In verse 12 to 13, it says, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And so we know that Lot set up a tent outside of this city and then eventually moved into the city. We don't know whether he married his wife, whose name is Lot's wife. We don't know if Lot married Lot's wife in the city. Did he find her in Sodom? I don't know. I don't know. We know nothing about this woman. But we know that's where the separation happened. That's where it went on. Now, a lot of times when we hear, we go, you know, this is why it's so bad. Because, man, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, of course, both in popular culture and especially in church culture, we instantly go, Sodom and Gomorrah, no wonder it was burnt down. There was so much iniquity. And we look at our world today, and there is so much sexual immorality, and there is so much sexual compromise, and there is so much iniquity. And I'm not just talking about the obvious things that the church normally talks about, but a lot of the things that we don't talk about that are just equally as evil, like the profuse use of pornography. Let me tell you what drives the sex trafficking industry. It's pornography. And we could eradicate trafficking. I don't even need to do another walk for freedom if just the people in the church stopped watching porn. But it's very quiet in this Presbyterian church, so I'm going to go over to this side of the room. That's the holy section. I can see that. And so the fact is that instantly our minds go to what we perceive immorality or debauchery. It tends to be the, the, the sexual sin that we're not committing. That's the one that we think. But in God's mind, it's all equal, just so that you know. But as much as immorality and iniquity, of course, of course is so contrary to God. I'm not minimizing that at all. And our earth is rampant with sexual immorality and iniquity. Our earth is so confused about this whole area. It's out of control. There is no doubt about it. But I also want to just point out another thing that is equally important to God. Not less or more, but equally and this was what the scripture says is the Sodom, is the, sorry, is the sin of Sodom. And oftentimes in the church, we've neglected to remember this because we so focus on the cultural wars and we so focus on sexual immorality, which we should, but the fact is we excuse it in our own lives and we point the finger at everybody else's life. But this is also what the scripture says in Genesis I'm sorry, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 to 50. I want you to hear this. This is straight from the Bible. Now, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. So don't just go with what we hear out there. Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, just sexual immorality. And listen, I put traffickers in jail for a living. That's what I do. So it is obvious that I want to stop that kind of immorality and iniquity and abuse. But I want you to see also what matters to God. Now, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but did not support the poor and the needy. When you're wondering why there might be the reckoning in the church that there has been over the last few years, I wonder... When we are full of pride, arrogant, we're chosen, nobody else is, we're awesome, nobody else is, comfortable ease, plenty of food, and we forget the very reason God has blessed us, which is to be a blessing to a, 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 a broken and a dark world, when we forget the needs of the marginalized or the oppressed or the disenfranchised or the needy, that is what the church is on the earth to do. But when we get comfortable, when we get arrogant, when we get prideful, when we think, you know what, it's all for us and we don't care about a world, it matters to God. And so it says that they were full of pride, plenty of food, comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and the needy. And here is the part that we generally focus on. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me, which is no doubt what is happening all around. But if we, the church, can marry both and go, you know what, it matters to God, both how we morally live our lives 
and what we do for the poor and the needy, then I'm telling you the church and the reputation of the church and the witness of the church in a lost and a broken world would go a long way. And what the, this generation and the younger generation is looking for is that we would marry both things, that personal morality and integrity matters, but how we treat the poor and the marginalized and fight for justice matters. That's why I love this church, because both of those things matter to you. And our witness has been compromised in the world because we're involved in cultural wars where we only highlight one or two things, and God says, hang on, they both matter to me. And the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was burnt up ultimately was because both of those things were neglected. And I'm wondering whether the reckoning over the last few years in the church is because we were neglecting some of these things. And so what we need to do is to understand that as Jesus was talking about this whole thing is burning down, this whole thing's gone, he goes on and he says in verse 17 of chapter 19, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. So now God's going to rescue Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. And God's got a plan for them and God's got a purpose for them. And God is taking them into a promise. Yes, everything that they knew as they knew it was burning down. It was finished. It was over. But God had a plan and God had provision. God had a purpose and it was forward focused and it was in the future. And he sent an angel of the Lord to literally take them by the hand. They were touched by an angel and take them out of what was burning down into a future and a promise and a purpose. And this is the only instruction that he gave. He said, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back. This is the deal. Or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. But Lot's wife, in verse 26, this is all we know about this woman. But Lot's wife looked behind him, but Lot's wife behind him, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So the one thing, this is it, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament says, remember Lot's wife in the context of talking about a world that is burning down, a world not unlike the world you and I are living in today. In that context, Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. So we go back and go, okay, if I have to remember this woman in 2022, in light of what has happened over all of these last years, I'm going to go back and see the only thing I know about this woman in Genesis 19. And the only thing I know about this woman is that she was told not to look back and she looked back. I wonder whether this would be an appropriate time in church history for you and I to remember Lot's wife. I wonder whether this would be the hour where we should listen to the words of Jesus and go, maybe I need to remember this one woman that looked back. She got stuck and she became a pillar of salt, calcified. Instead of being the salt of the world in the future, she got stuck in the past. And she never fulfilled her purpose, even though God was delivering her so that she could fulfill her purpose. And basically, she was torn between what she was leaving and where she was going. And I wonder how many of us are right there now. Because it is amazing to me how much of the conversation around the earth is, man, if life could just go back to normal. If we could just get back to our our pre-pandemic life, man where my business was or where my church was or where our family was or where our relationships were. If life, life is, it doesn't matter where I go in the world. It's like somewhere people have lost their minds over the last six years and everyone's like, I just wish things would go back to normal. Except they're not going back to normal. There is no normal. We're in this now. And so many people are stuck because they're looking back to, man, I wish I could go back to those relationships or I wish I could go back to how the business was then or I wish I could go back to how things were there and we're just wanting to go back and we keep looking back and what Lot's wife did was she was looking back with longing and there was a lingering in her she 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 and I don't know no wonder she was longing her whole life was back there everything she had built was back there Her, her the rest of her family was back there her relatives were back there Her home was back there and I I don't know, maybe she renovated the bathroom. Who knows? I don't know what she was doing, but that's what a lot of us are. We're looking back longing for what was. And Jesus is like, hang on a minute. I'm not back there. I'm here and I'm in the future. And I'm not back there, meaning what I have for you is not back there. 
My provision for you is not back there. My promises for you are not back there. My purposes for you are not back there. My promises still prevail. My purpose is still there for you. It's all still in the future. It's not back there. It's ahead. So don't look back. Don't get stuck. So many Christians are calcified right now because we're looking back. Looking back at what was longing. Longing for what was more than what God has for us. And Jesus is like, this is a time to remember Lot's wife because so many of you are getting calcified and stuck relationally, emotionally, physically, financially, every realm of life. And you watch it and you see it play out on social media. People are stuck fighting over a past that no longer exists. And God's like, no, 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 it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And it's been hard to say this over the last few years because a lot of people, you don't understand. Yes, there's been a lot of pain in the last few years. Yes. Yes, there has been a lot of loss. Absolutely. There's been a lot of grief. I am not minimizing any of that. I'm not dismissing any of that. I'm not denying any of that. I've lived on this earth just like all of you. I'd love to tell you Elon Musk gave me one of his rockets and took me up to Mars during these last few years. But I've lived in the same pandemic as you've lived in. I've lived in the same world full of just political instability, chaos, division, through the same natural disasters, the same pain, the same suffering, the same inflation. I'm in California, for goodness sake. We pay seven bucks for our gas. My husband was nearly bowing down at the altar of your service stations, driving as we were coming here, going, what country are we in? Who are these people? We live in the same world. But at the same time, Jesus is saying to me and to you, don't look back. Don't look back. Because you hear it, you hear it in church life. You know, pastors and leaders talked about, well, man, our pre-pandemic numbers. And like, I'm like, who cares about your pre-pandemic numbers? I'm not in 2019. We're in 2022. We're in 2023. What's the Lord doing now? Where is the Lord taking us now? So many of us, we're looking back. Well, you know, man, when I was back there, you see it in everything. There are people that are talking about how great their football skills were in junior high. (laughs) Except you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and we're just like, man, we're talking back and every week it's the same old thing. And talking about, man, it would have been great. My life would have been so different if I didn't get that injury, if I didn't pull that hamstring, if I didn't blow my knee out. And I'm like, you've done nothing for 30 years because you blew your knee out 30 years ago? (laughs) And we're laughing because we know how true that is. And you can put that across any area of your life. Man, if that didn't happen. Man, if I just wasn't abused. Man, if I just didn't lose my house. Man, if my husband just didn't walk out on me. Man, if my wife was faithful. Man, and we're just always looking back. And instead of stepping into the promise and the purpose that Jesus has for us and the redeeming power of God, we just keep looking back and we're blaming and we're certainly living in a culture that fosters that right now. I'm not denying the reality of trauma. I'm the kid that was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted. I don't even know who my biological parents were. I was sexually abused for 12 years. I know trauma. But trauma is not my God. Jesus is my God. And I'm going to make what Jesus did for me bigger than what they did to me. And we're living in a world that says you can blame your past and not step into your future. And Jesus says, I'm here not to give you amnesia from your past, but to tell you there's a life beyond your past. And the purpose is forward and the promise is forward. And a lot of us are choosing to let go of the hands of Jesus so we can look back at our past and we're getting calcified, stuck stuck in a moment that we should only be passing through. And Jesus is saying, would you long for what I have for you more than what you've left behind, even if it was good? Would you trust that what I have for you in the future is better than what was in your past? Because Jesus ultimately is our hope. And what this season has proved is really where does our hope lie? Because a lot of us, we're like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember in Luke 24, when Jesus was walking with them and they didn't recognize him. And a lot of us are not recognizing Jesus in this moment because we're too busy looking down and looking back. And Jesus is walking with them and they're saying, we had hoped he was the one. And he's like, uh, I am, I am, I, 
I, I rose from the dead. We'd hoped that business would make it. We'd hoped that marriage would make it. We hoped that kid would come through. We had hoped that this disaster wouldn't, we had hoped. And Jesus is saying, but I'm still here. And scripture says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, even during a pandemic, even during political instability, even during all of the riots and the injustice and the pain and the suffering. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. And if our soul has lost its bearings over the last few years, I think what God has shown to us, it's not that he's in shock, he knew all the time. He's showing us where maybe we had some misplaced hopes. Because it is stunning to me the number of people that have walked away from the Lord and the house of God because they're disappointed or offended with God because God didn't give them what they thought they wanted and God's like, I thought I was what you wanted and I haven't left you. I know that person hurt you. I know that person betrayed you. I know that person left you. I know that maybe that business didn't make it, but your hope is in me, I thought, not that. And what has been revealed to most of us over the last few years is the idols that we had in our hearts. Things have been revealed to me. I'm sure things have been revealed to you. And you know by the degree of your disappointment, disappointment's not wrong. But when it lingers and when you're not going to move forward, then perhaps that thing was an idol more than a disappointment. Or that person was. And Jesus is like, I'm taking you by the hand and we're going to move forward into the future. And the promise I have for you and the purpose that I have for you has not changed. You go, Christine, but the whole world's changed. But all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes, and amen. And so just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Just because it's not happening in the way you thought it was going to happen does not mean it's not happening. God is faithful. The Bible says that God is light. In him there is no darkness. There is no dark side to God. God cannot lie. So if he made that promise, it will come to pass even in the crazy world that we live in. The issue is do you have the faith to walk forward into that? This whole deal is about faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, especially in this day where it's so dark. Do we trust God even when we can't trace him? Because faith is predicated on trust, not understanding. And we are so disappointed by so many things, all of us. Things do not go how we thought they were going to go, but that doesn't mean that we stop trusting God. And that's really the moment of faith. When you can't trace God in a situation, you're like, what happened? How did this happen? Will you continue to trust him? And that's the only way you're going to keep moving forward, especially in this hour and this time. Because there is great evil on the earth. Revelation 12, 12 tells us that the enemy knows his time is short. So he's accelerated everything. And I'm 56. I've lived on this world, on this earth for a long time. I've been following the Lord for decades. And I've seen a lot of darkness and a lot of iniquity. What is shocking about this season in history is it's just happening so quickly. It's like you've got whiplash going, how did that just change? Where did that just happen? And it's so accelerated. You go, why does it seem to be changing so quick? Revelation 12, 12, the enemy knows his time is short. So he has fast-tracked everything. That's what we're living in the midst of. So if you and I are going to keep moving forward, and stop looking back and not get calcified and stuck in a moment we should only be passing through. We're going to have to remember Lot's wife and we're going to have to trust God when we don't trace him. There's no other way around this. And the fact is, Scripture tells us that God is good and God does good. And that's true. And that God will work all things together for our good and for his glory. This is the walk of faith that you and I signed up for. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that even in the midst of all of this and while everything is burning behind us, God is still God. God is still good. God is still faithful. And he will accomplish his purposes in our lives and the lives of the people around us. That's what God does. That's who God is. That is how we stand as a people of faith in this hour. So the thing is, um, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12 says that 
The prophet, after the children of Israel had been in exile in Babylon for 70 years, and they'd returned back to Jerusalem, and the temple was in ruins. The walls were decimated. They were surrounded by enemies. and They thought they were going to go back to a thriving city, but like us, they've come back, and it's like, whoa, this world's a bit wild. It's not how I left it. It's not what I thought. And the prophet said, you were prisoners in Babylon. And so now that you're back in Jerusalem, you're going to have to become prisoners of hope. And I will restore to you double, the prophet says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 12. So we get a choice. We're living in a fallen world. The world is out of control and it's about to get even more cray-cray over the next two-year election cycle. So the issue is we can decide up front who we're going to be. And we are going to be, and you can make a choice. And I remember when the pandemic hit and I had all of our global staff, 19 offices, 15 countries. We're all on Zoom. And for those two years, I would call it the upper Zoom room. And we would meet on the upper Zoom room so we could have a Holy Ghost revival in the Zoom room every time we met. And I would say to them, the very first day, I read that scripture from Zechariah. And I said, we don't get to choose whether we're prisoners. The whole world's in lockdown. But we do get to choose the type of prisoners we're going to be. And we are not going to be prisoners of fear or division or doubt or unbelief or negativity. But we are going to be prisoners of hope. And why can I say that with confidence in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of racial riots, in the midst of inflation, in the midst of instability, in the midst of iniquity? Why can I say that we will continue to be prisoners of hope? Why? Because of Hebrews. Jesus is this hope we have. Not the economy, not the political situation, not what is happening in the environment. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. I don't need to drift in this season because Jesus is my anchor. Yes, the storms will come. Yes, the trials will come. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials. Peter said, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. James says, consider it pure joy when you're in the midst of trials. Scripture tells us we're going to be in the midst of it, but in the midst of it is where we show our faith. That is when we understand that grace Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That is when we understand that no weapon forged against us shall prosper. That is when we understand that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us. We were born for this moment. We were born for this moment to display the light and the life of Christ in a lost and a broken world. So we don't need to act like the world. We don't need to be calcified. And stuck in this moment. And some of us, man, that bitterness is eating us up. The disappointment, the discouragement, the offense, the unforgiveness, the anger and the rage. You see it rampant in our world. Are you going to get stuck in that? Jesus came to set you free from that. There's a whole future and a whole purpose. There's no denial. He came to rescue Lot's wife and her family. And look what happened when she got stuck. If you go on in that chapter in the next one, didn't fare well for Lot or his daughters. When you abdicate your position, it unravels everything. And the devil would love that. I mean, I could preach a whole nother sermon. Look what happened with Lot and his daughters. If you know the story. And so many people are getting stuck in this moment and it's going to have ramifications on your children and your children's children. You and I have to keep moving forward. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And the fact that you woke up this morning and there's not a white chalk mark around your body means that you're still alive, in case you're wondering. The fact that you're here and not in a very cold room, in a sealed bag, it means that God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. God still has a destiny for you. And that your future is better than your past. And that we fix our eyes on Jesus and we continue to press on and press into the purposes of God. And we do exactly what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians 
Philippians, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us. This is a time for us to remember Lot's wife, to keep looking forward, to fix our eyes like Flint on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, to stop all the distractions, maybe to shut down how long we're on social media or how many negative people we've got around us, to get ourselves in the Word, to elevate Jesus and begin to worship Him, to sow ourselves more firmly into the purposes of God. And we're not doing it just for us. We're doing it for our children's children, children. We're going to press on in Jesus' name. That's what we're going to do, church. We're going to press on in Jesus' name. Friend, I wonder if you know this Jesus that I'm talking about this morning. Not do you know about him, but do you know him? And if you don't right here, right now, I want to give you the opportunity to address the spiritual condition of your heart, the opportunity to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Maybe a friend invited you to church this morning. You, you were not even sure what you were coming to. You're still hung over. They said, let's go to a nightclub. And you're like, yes. And you're in this house, not by accident, but you're here in the divine timing, the divine plan and the divine purpose of God. God has brought you here to draw you to relationship to himself. You were created by God for a relationship with God. And it's Jesus that connects us to God. And it's Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. Maybe you once walked with God, but if you're honest today, you've been away from God, man. It's been a hard few years. You've been cold in your heart, maybe even backslidden. You're kind of just showing up because it's what you do, go through the motions of church. But if you're honest, your heart's been away from God. You've been looking back big time. And in fact, not just looking back, but going back. Like the disciples, Scripture says they went back to Emmaus. Because see, when you lose sight of Jesus, you'll go back to what you came from. And we've got a lot of that going on. So today, I want to invite you to stop running from him. To come home to him. To make your peace with God and put Jesus Christ first in your life. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that. If you've been away from God and cold in your heart and it's time to come back and have a fresh start with Jesus, I want to invite you to do that too. I want you to know that no matter what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said, where you've been, there is nothing that you can do that is too great to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You haven't gone too far. The enemy would love to lie to you and say, she can tell you to come back, but man, she doesn't know what you've done. And I don't know what you've done. But I don't really care what you've done because I know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And my Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all. And all means all. Unrighteousness. You can have a fresh start this morning with Jesus Christ. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Friend, from the front to the back, from the left to the right, wherever you are, up in the balcony, down on the floor. In this moment, I'm not speaking to the person next to you. I'm speaking to you. And if you say to me today, Chris, I want what you're talking about. I want a fresh start with Jesus Christ, either for the very first time or I've been away from God, cold in my heart. But today I want what you're talking about. I want a fresh start with Jesus. Then let me pray for you. Just a very simple but powerful prayer right where you're sitting. And if you say, Chris, include me in that prayer today. I want a fresh start with Jesus. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are so I know who I'm praying for? Thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you. I'm seeing so many hands. Thank you. Fantastic. Here in the middle. Thank you. I see you over there. Here on my right-hand side. Thank you and thank you and thank you. I'm looking up on the balcony now. Thank you. I see you back there and over there and there and there. Thank you. I'm seeing you. Keep those hands up high. It's so dark. Thank you. I see you over there. All over the room, just keep them up high one more time just so I can make sure that I didn't miss anybody. And I, Jesus certainly sees your hand. There are so many hands raised in the 9 o'clock service. I hope in Blairville too that your hands are raised up there saying, yes, yes, I want a fresh start with Jesus. Beautiful. Keep that hand raised in church. We're going to pray a prayer. I want all of us to pray this prayer together by faith. Even believers, we're praying it in agreement with all of these people. There are so many people with their hand raised. We're going to pray it with them as they pray to Jesus and for a fresh start this morning. So church, with conviction and faith, let's pray together as people make their peace with God this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I've raised my hand today because I recognize my need for you. I ask that you would forgive me for all of my sins, 
that you would give me a fresh start today and a hope for the future. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ every single day for the rest of my life. Jesus, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Can we give all of those people a round of applause? And I guess Kim's coming up now. That's awesome. Church, let me just pray as Kim comes up. I want to pray for one more group of people. If you are saying, Chris, it's time. I've been looking back a little bit too long. And it could be in any area, relationally, emotionally, business, financial. I mean, it could be in any area. And you go, I, I need to remember Lot's wife. I've got to stop lamenting. Stop looking back. Stop focusing on what was and start fixing my eyes on Jesus and believe that the promise and the purpose and the future is there. Then I want you just to stand to your feet and I'm going to pray for those that this morning go. I'm going to believe in God that this is going to be a pivotal morning where we stop looking back and we start looking forward. And, you know, that means we're going to make a decision that we're going to leave some things that it might be some bitterness and unforgiveness and disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment and hurt. And, and, and we're just going to settle. There are some things we're just not going to understand this side of eternity. That's it. I've had to settle that in my own life and go, you know, I've just got to stop asking why. And I just got to trust the who when I don't understand the why. And some of us, that's the moment. And we're making this decision. I can't even express to you how important this is because it's not just going to impact you. It is going to impact the generations. Lot's wife got stuck. Gosh, it got messed up with Lot and his daughters after that. And so we don't want to get stuck. We want to keep moving. And we're going to trust God even when we can't trace him at times. And let me just say, all of us, you heard Kim this morning even, there's just some stuff. You go, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust. That is the biggest act of faith. It really is when you can do that. So if you're able and you're comfortable, would you just raise your hands to heaven just as a sign of surrender to the Lord? So Lord, we stand before you this morning in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we recognize it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would sweep through this auditorium and that you would touch every person individually. Lord, you know their exact situation. And Lord, it matters to you. You see and you know and you care. Jesus, you bore that pain and that suffering on the cross. You get it. And I pray this morning in this house for every person standing that this would be truly a destiny-defining, pivotal moment where even if we don't understand why, we're still going to trust you and we're going to choose to stop looking back in Jesus' name, to stop talking about it, to stop ruminating about it, to stop blogging or posting about it. But Jesus, we determine as the people of God that we're going to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've tried to work out why and how and how we can fix it, but Jesus, we just give it to you. Only you can fix it. We're wondering how we can make sense of it, and Jesus, even when we can't make sense of it, we're still going to just trust you. But we determine this morning in the name of Jesus that we're not looking back any longer. We're going to remember Lot's wife and we're going to look forward. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give every person the strength and the courage to be able to keep moving forward and to not look back. Father, I pray that you would take the pain, the disappointment, the bitterness, the offense, the hurt, the misunderstanding. And by the power of your blood, Father, that you would wash us all clean. We don't want to be a people that are caught up in the narrative of this culture, the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the, just the offense. Lord, we want to be a people that are free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So I speak freedom. Let chains and shackles be broken over your people this morning. In the name of Jesus, let freedom reign. Let them leave this meeting, I pray, Father, with just a lightness that they haven't felt just a sense of trust and confidence and freedom that they haven't felt in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.